0: and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, Please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott.
1: Amen. Well, let's get into the Word, but first, our four prayer points. Pray that God speaks to you. Pray that God speaks to those in this room with you. Pray for those who maybe don't know the Lord, and then pray for me, and that God will speak to me and through me as well. Let's pray. we're truly grateful for the freedom that you've given us, the freedom in Christ, first of all, that daily we have a relationship with you because of what Christ did on the cross. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us individually and corporately today. You know where each and every person is in this room, and you know where we are, even those who are listening online. God, meet us at that point of need and speak to us. Will draw those that don't know you, that don't have a relationship with you, into that relationship. God, that they may spend eternity with you in heaven. And Lord, I do pray that you speak to me and that you speak through me. God, bring direction and correction to my life and that I may be obedient to what your Holy Spirit is saying. We just surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation 1.3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We'll probably quote that every Sunday from here until we're done with this study. The reality is there is a blessing as we study God's word, not just studying God's word, but applying it to our lives. You are blessed by studying this book. Last week, and the cool thing about chapter 5 is what we're in today, is you know what's very cool about Chapter 5 comes right after chapter four. The two could have been connected together. We could have taught all of it if we wanted to be here for about three hours last week. Um, But John at that time was in the throne room of God. That's what we were introduced to. We talked a little bit about the rapture of the church. He saw the throne. He saw the one who sat upon the throne. He talked about everything that was going on around the throne. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to to read chapter four or you can jump online and look at... um, at the message from last week as well but five flows right out of chapter four very easily the focus turns to something that god is holding in his hand and the one who is worthy to take the scroll Uh, so we'll be in revelation five today we're going to do the whole chapter and the title is he who is worthy and really our focus this morning is going to end up on worship so i challenge you to be thinking about that even as we close out the message, to be thinking about how we're going to engage in worship as we close out this service. Revelation five, verse one, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book or scroll written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Where the focus of Revelation four was the throne, John is now focusing on the scroll that was held by God. And while he was on the throne, This scroll was an unusual scroll. It was written on both the front and the back. That usually isn't what happened. They only wrote on one side and then rolled it together, meaning that there's a lot of information and really probably more information on that one scroll than that should be there. We have to remember as they had that scroll, they they would have the roll in their left hand and they would pull it this way because they're reading right to left and they would pull it and they'd roll it up and then keep going as they read the scroll. It's not as easy as a book that we have today or our electronic devices. Book and scroll are used synonymously here. We're going to refer to it as the scroll this morning, as the New King James does. Sealed up with seven seals. To start with, writing back in the day was a little more difficult. And it was viewed with more importance, I think, than even today. It was more difficult to do. It was more difficult to keep it. Today, we have technology. We have digital records. Um, anybody have a, a, a Kindle app on their phone? <laughs> you can take that book you're reading, and you can read it anywhere, right? We have digital copies of everything. I have every Bible translation I want on my phone or on the iPad. And sometimes I think we write things that we really don't think about the consequences of written word. That's, thus, we have social media and all that mess that spins from that. We do have formal documents, right, that we sign. You buy a car or a house or get married. You sign a document. Um, so there's something formal. It requires a signature. When a scroll of great importance was written, it was bound with a seal. In medieval times, you would see that that wax seal with the, the insignia of the king's ring or that important official's ring would be pressed into it, proving that it was sent from a person of authority. The seals on this scroll show uh, the genuineness and the privacy of that scroll, that it wasn't for everybody's eyes to see. No one knows what the scroll says. When that scroll is finished, it was fastened with strings. The strings were then sealed with wax at each of the knots. The scroll was sealed with seven seals, meaning there were seven different strings around this one scroll each string sealed with wax. Not seven writings, each separated by a seal, but seven seals all set upon one scroll. All the seals must be opened before the scroll can be read. A scroll written. Uh, Through the centuries, the commentators suggest many different ideas for what the scroll is and what was written on it. It's important to remember that whatever was on the scroll, no one except Jesus was and is worthy to open it. And many think the Old or New Testament and New Testament were written on it together, possibly maybe even fulfilled prophecy written on it. But all of these ideas look backwards and not forwards. John wrote in Re- Revelations 4.1, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things also if the scroll is the new and old testament who is unworthy of opening it i mean you and i hold copies of it right in front of us the second thing is that some think the scroll was god's claim of divorce against israel which would be a lot of the replacement theology that happens in some churches today where they think israel has been removed and now it's the church of of modern day that has taken that place and that is not scriptural there's little scriptural evidence for that idea and again who is unworthy to open that scroll some think the scroll was god's sentence against the enemies of the church and perhaps that's true but only in an indirect sense and again who is unworthy to open that scroll others think the scroll was a, the text of the book of revelation or at least the next few chapters as we move forward but this is rather unlikely considering how the idea of the scroll is communicated again, who would be unworthy to open that scroll? Some think the scroll was a title deed of the planet Earth. That's an attractive idea, especially because of the, the coming tribulation at the end of it, Jesus will be ruling the earth. But it's hard to demonstrate that with clarity. The best connection with that idea seems to be Jeremiah 32, 6 through 15. It describes Jewish title deeds and how they're sealed. But there is no doubt in our minds that this earth today is the Lord's and always has been. Psalm 24.1 says the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all of those who dwell in it. See, God is in control. However, the governments of the world belong in some sense to the devil. Look at the interaction between Jesus and Satan in Luke 4, 5 through 8. And he led them, and led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours. But Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In Luke 4, as Jesus walked in the wilderness, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Remember he had been fasting 40 days? To walk in the Spirit is to to literally obey the initial promptings of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect and problem-free. Sometimes the Lord is going to lead us into the wilderness or into situations that are difficult. In fact, this often happens after times of great spiritual growth or victory. But we've got to trust and obey him we will surely triumph if we do. Our relationship as we trust and obey him will grow even deeper and stronger. Also something we see here is Jesus used scripture to battle the nonsense the devil tries to take to him. That's a good reminder for us. When the devil comes in and he's giving those fiery darts and and he's shooting thoughts at you, go to scripture. Don't try to fight it in the flesh. Use scripture. All right, back to our text. Occasionally, we're going to hear teaching that claims this world is the property of Satan attained in the great fall in Genesis 3. But this world has always been and will always be God's. He will never relinquish his sovereignty to anyone. However, he has allowed Satan to control various aspects. But again, all under God's supervision. Nothing out of his control. If God has to get the title deed back to earth, then when did God ever lose it? In fact, God holds a scroll. It isn't lost. The scroll must be opened. It must be revealed. Barclay says that the best solution is to see that the scroll as God's will, his final settlement of the affairs of the universe. This is based on the idea that customarily under Roman law, wills were sealed with seven seals each from a witness to the validity of that will. As human beings, we have a built-in desire to know things, right? We're kind of nosy. We're kind of snoopy. What's that neighbor doing? Why is that truck there? They put up a fence. Why'd they put up a fence? I can't see in their backyard now. The thing is, there's things that we want to know about God's word there's things that we want to understand about God, but we, we may just not know. We, we, there's things that we can't know, maybe not know until we're in heaven. And we all have those questions, right? When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God. You know, when we get to heaven, we're not going to care. You may or may not ask the question. You may or may not have that knowledge automatically. We don't know. But this book or scroll, it brings counsel, it brings decrees. Brings judgments and a comprehensive program of God directing the second coming of Christ. The idea here is that God has a book or scroll in which history, the history of the universe, is already written. He has written the history of the world in advance, He holds it in His hand. He initiates the consummation of all history. God is in control, and only God can hold this scroll i saw it in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written remember the emphasis is not on the content of the scroll but it's on the seals and the one who is worthy to break those seals and open the scroll verses two through four and i saw a strong angel uh, proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and break the seals And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. Who indeed is worthy to open the scroll? Now this strong angel, we don't know who the the angel is. Many have suggested that it's Gabriel, but we don't know. Nonetheless, this angel issued a challenge to all creation. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? This is a challenge that no creature can answer because no creature is worthy to open this particular scroll. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And John could not have said it any stronger It was as if the strong angel looked through the entire universe to find somebody worthy. He didn't find anyone, no one to even look at the scroll. There was no one to answer the strong angel's challenge because the creation is utterly incapable of deciding and affecting its own destiny. You might think you're in charge of your life. Now, we make decisions. We make some poor choices sometimes, but God is in control. So there was no answer to the strong angel's challenge. Someone above creation, the the order of created beings, must be the one who determines the course of history. Only God can unfold this plan. Then he said he began to weep greatly. John wept, either because a previous promise to see the future may now be denied or more likely because the consummation of history would now be indefinitely on hold no one was found worthy to look upon the scroll you must have the right to open the scroll the right to possess it and no creature was so who indeed is worthy to hold eternal life and everlasting condemnation in their hands The fifth chapter of Revelation reveals that no other leader, no religious figure or ruler in history could open this important scroll about God's righteous judgment. Only one person, the risen Savior, who sacrificed himself for all mankind, could open it, Jesus. Jesus is unique and superior to all. We cannot and must not lose perspective as we study this very important book of the Bible our eyes and our hearts must be continually set on Christ. Not, not fearful of what's going on in the world around us, not caught up in conspiracy, but focused on Christ. Verses five through seven, and the one of the elders said to me, stop weeping, behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a, a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth and he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll one of the elders not, not the angel rescued John from his grief showing him that the one who has prevailed We'll open the scroll. This one was the great figure of the Old Testament prophecy, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Messiah, the Messiah of Israel and of the Gentiles. So here we see the Messianic uh, title, Lion of the tribe of Judah. That comes from Genesis 49 and also from Isaiah 31, Hosea 11, the title, Root of David, comes from Isaiah 11 and back into Revelation 22:16 16 again. It is through the bloodline of David that Jesus was born. Trapp says that a lion is a fitting image for our Messiah, for the excellence of his strength, for the heroism of his spirit, for the principality, for the lion is the king of the beasts, for his vigilance, for the lion sleeps with eyes open and I looked and saw between the thrones a lamb because of the elders announcements John expected to turn around and see a lion but, but saw a lamb instead John even used a specific word for a, a little lamb it, it signifies a, a little or delicate lamb the lamb is presented in a way that's both sympathetic but yet powerful. He is living, a lamb standing, but he is still has the marks of a previous sacrifice upon him, as though he had been slain. When men want symbols of power, they conjure up ferocious beasts and birds of prey and such as, as those that would represent nations or sport teams. How many of you would follow a football team that was named the Little Lambs? I thought Mike, maybe the saints might be in that line. But the representative of the kingdom of heaven is a lamb. Representing humility, gentleness, sacrificial love. The lamb looks as though it had been slain. It's hard to describe what John saw, but this lamb had the marks of sacrifice on it, possibly scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns, visible scars in his hands and feet, from additional and an additional wound in his side the coming judgment beginning in chapter 6 is dictated and administrated by the lamb who already offered an escape from judgment by taking judgment upon himself the judgment that will come upon the world that hates the lamb that hates all that he stands for and rejects his offer of escape See, that's what accepting Christ does for us. It gives us an opportunity of escape from judgment and wrath. It gives us the the hope of heaven for eternity. The thought is that the sacrifice of Jesus is still fresh and current before God the Father. You see, time works differently in the throne room of heaven. There's nothing stale or worn out in the work of Jesus on the cross. Thousands of years later, Still, just as fresh as the day he died on the cross. The death of Jesus on the cross purchased eternal redemption. It doesn't matter how far on the timeline we get from the cross, the shed blood of Christ covers us all. It covers you, it covers me. It's fresh, it's new. And that, my friend, is something to praise God for. His mercies new every morning his grace is sufficient for all of us as we surrender to him you simply must have faith we have to have faith especially as we step into the next part of this passage having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of god sent out into all of the earth even though the marks of sacrifice were evident the lamb was not presented as an object of pity He bore marks of omnipotence, the seven horns, and omniscience, the seven eyes. What a figure that is. A slain lamb who has the marks of omniscience and omnipotence. Omni, meaning all. Um, omnipotent god is all powerful meaning god has no limitations he creates and maintains his creation matthew nineteen twenty six. with people this is impossible but with god all things are possible omniscience all knowing he is aware of the past the present and the future nothing takes him by surprise hebrews 4 13 there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and laid bare in the eyes of him whom we have to do. But then we would also look at the aspect of God being omnipresent. God is all present. He is everywhere at all times. There is no la- location that he does not occupy. Jeremiah twenty three twenty four Can man hide himself in a hiding place so I do not see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord. You see, as we read all of Scripture, we see that eyes bring the thought of wisdom and knowledge and horns suggest power. This lamb that John sees has knowledge and wisdom and power all fulfilled perfectly in the seven horns and the seven eyes. Then, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, the Holy Spirit is not only the spirit of God in the sense of being the spirit of the Father, but also the spirit of Christ. It speaks of the fullness of God's Spirit, that the three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are working together in tandem. They have been from the beginning of creation, and they will work through eternity together. Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. No created being was found worthy to take the scroll, but the Lamb can take it. His rank, character, his ability to take the scroll and open it, it dictates the destiny of creation has been permanently demonstrated by his work on the cross. Who then is indeed worthy? He is worthy. So I would ask you, just in a pausing point, do you recognize that God is omnipotent? He has omniscience and is omnipresent in your everyday life? You see, we look at that from afar and we go, oh, yeah, God is all powerful, all knowing. He's here. here." But do you really understand or realize that He is active and part of your life on a daily basis? He is all knowing, He is all present. There's nowhere we can go from him. He is walking with us. See, he didn't just create the earth and wind up a cord around it and spin it off and let it go. He's right here with us every step of the day, every way we go. As we study this book, as we see things around us in our world that seem to be unfolding, we have to keep proper perspective. We have to understand and remember that God is in control and he is active in our daily lives. The sooner we can realize that and grab a hold of that in the morning, God, I know you've got this day. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm dedicating it to you. You are in control. That'll make life much easier for us. The day may not be perfect, but God is in control. And what do we do with that time that he's given us? as in the end time approaches even more. We've talked about it, and that's the, the downside of, of us thinking about pre-tribulation rapture, right? I, which is what I believe. We're out of here before the tribulation hits, but that doesn't mean that's our easy card. Life is gonna be real easy, then the rapture happens, and then life is gonna get terrible. Now, things are gonna get a little rough before the rapture happens. So don't be complacent. Stay focused on Christ. Stay focused on the fact that God is in control Not us. Keep your eyes on him. Moving on to verse 8 through 10. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So praise to the worthy one. The song of the elders and and the cherubim. When the lamb took the scroll, the response was immediate. High-ranking angels and redeemed men joined in worship of the lamb, each one holding a heart. One one commentator points out that the harp is properly a a zithern or a kind of guitar played with either a hand or with a pick. Worship in heaven is accompanied by instrumental music. And as one might expect, this is the passage that started the idea that people in heaven are all going to have a harp. Maybe that hasn't been your thought. When I get to heaven, I can't wait to get my harp. It would be like you showing up to church this morning and as you came to the door, Caleb would hand you a guitar tell you to head on into the sanctuary for worship now it sounds kind of cool in thought how many of you can play an instrument at all three of us see we're in trouble when we get to heaven we're all going to get to play we're all going to get to play and it's going to sound good the only thing I play is the stereo really loud when we get to heaven the worship is going to be at a whole new level all golden bowls of full incense and which are the prayers of the saints these golden bowls the elders symbolically presented the prayers of the saints and in this they did not intercede for the saints functioning as a mediator for god's people and we're reminded that there is one god and one mediator between god and man and that's jesus christ these elders did not pray for the saints This is in no way justifying the Roman Catholic Church or practice of of praying to the saints and asking them to pray for us. Scripture taken out of context. We We have the ability, because of what Jesus did on the cross, to pray directly to God. Understand that? That's how easy it is. We can talk to him. Because of Jesus, we each get to go to God on our own It's also possible that these prayers that were lifted up were a unified prayer of them saying, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. In this, we see how precious the prayer of the saints are to God. He regards them as a sweet-smelling incense, as if to set, set them in a precious golden bowl. See, God wants to hear from you. Yes, God knows what it is you're going to pray, but he wants to hear you say it. He wants to have conversation with you. He values that. And there's something here. The connection between prayer and incense is, is shown in Psalms 141 one two. May my prayer be counted as incense before you. The lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Puts a little more seriousness to your prayer life. Kind of a statement and a question here. If our prayers are considered incense, it means that they need to have a little fire to them, right? Incense before the uh, uh, aroma is available, fire has to be applied to it, right? That's how it works. Do your prayers have any fire or passion to them, or are they monotone, dear God? It's me, Eeyore. I'm here again. It's a cloudy day. I'm not saying that you have to be yelling your prayers or shaking your jowls and speaking in the King James language. But do you believe in whom you are praying to? Do you pray with passion? Do you pray with expectation that God is hearing you? Because he is. Our prayers should have some fire to them. That brings that aroma. And they sang a new song. The elders sang a new song for mercies that are forever new. This could be interpreted as an excellent song because new songs have always had great value. Although I think the old songs of the 80s were probably the best. How about a song that truly blessed God, though? That's a song of value. Now, within that, we don't necessarily bless God. It is God who blesses us because of the blood of Christ. But as we worship, as we sing of his promises, of his glory, as we sing of the hope that he's given us through faith, that is a a new song. That is something that that blesses him. That is an aroma to him that he receives. Lamentations 3.22 says, the Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease, for his compassions or his mercies never fail. So do you have the faith that the Lord is trustworthy? Do you have faith that that the Lord is reliable and consistent? Or do you question whether God will be there for you in your time of need? From cover to cover, the Bible proclaims that he will help us when we seek him that he will never abandon us. Therefore, we trust and obey him because he will never fail us because he is worthy. that's how we should be worshiping. That's the mindset in which we should be worshiping. In the days of the Apostle John, the Roman emperors were celebrated upon their arrival with a Latin expression translated, you are worthy. Here, though, we have the true ruler of the world that is honored. He is worthy. Verses 9 through 10, For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. In Revelation 4.11, praise was focused on God's work in creation, and now we have the work of redemption emphasized. This song honors the price of redemption for you were slain. This song honors the work of redemption. You have purchased us. The song honors the destination of redemption. You have redeemed us to God. The song honors the payment of redemption with your blood. The song honors the scope of redemption. Every tribe and tongue, people and nation. The song honors the length of redemption have made us kings and priests of God. The song honors the results of redemption. We shall reign on the earth. The streets of heaven are going to be filled with former captives who, through no merit of their own, find themselves redeemed, forgiven, and free. Slaves to sin have become saints. No wonder we'll sing a new song, a song of praise to the Redeemer who was slain on our behalf. We were slaves to sin, condemned to eternal separation from God. Jesus paid the price to redeem us, resulting in our freedom from slavery to sin and our rescue from eternal consequences of that sin. A kingdom of priests to our God. Believers are kings because of their royal birth and their destiny to reign with Jesus. Jesus. Their priests, because they need no mediator other than Jesus himself. Verses 11 and 12, Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the number of them with myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Can you imagine being there? Countless angels join in declaring the worthiness of the Lamb because of the redemption He accomplished. That would be mind-blowing. The angels and the elders fell down before the Lamb together in Revelation 5.8. And it seems that the only the elders are the ones that sang the song of the redeemed in verses 9 through 10, because nowhere in the Bible does it tell us the redemption of angels. The voice of many angels around the throne rose up in the praise of the great Redeemer, In Revelation 4, 9 through 10, the angels prompted the elders to worship. Here, the elders seem to be the ones that are prompting the angels. This is an amazing cycle, a wonderful cycle in heaven with angels and elders encouraging each other to more and more praise. That should be happening with us. We should be encouraging each other to worship, not in a showmanship way, but in a genuine way of, man, we're worshiping together and we're encouraging each other to worship the Lord together. Many angels, myriads upon myriads, thousands times ten thousands. Can can you imagine this, this innumerable company of angels? Everybody that's going on, the activity in unison, they all bow down. Can you imagine seeing that vision? And they all sing the sound. Can you imagine that sound? last week while I was putting this together and I ran across the video and it was, I don't even know who the guy was but it was a huge auditorium and he was there to perform but he got that auditorium singing like a choir. Anybody seen that video? And they're singing and he's got them doing everything. They're all over the place. They sounded amazing. Can you imagine that times, 10,000 times 10,000 all worshiping the Lord, the power and the presence of that? And I look forward to that. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. In their song, the angels did not offer praises for their redemption. This is because the angels are not, to the best of our knowledge, subjects of the redemption, but they are careful observers of it. Therefore, they're able to praise God because what they have seen take place in our lives. They're praising God for what God has done in mankind. The angels can see the greatness of God's work in redeeming fallen man. So, in response, they credit power, riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessings to the Lamb. In the same way, we can praise God for the way that He works in the lives of other people. But do we? A lot of times, we're so quick to get caught up in the negative things, aren't we? That's why our news media does what it does. Everything's negative. What happens if we look at things and we truly see the fruit of what God is doing in somebody's life and we praise God for it? That's what we should be doing. Worshiping God for who he is and for what he has done in other people's lives. That's our perspective as we especially come into this place is worshiping God and thanking him for who he is. Worshiping him for what he has done in our loved one's lives and in other people's lives that we don't even know. Worshiping him in truth worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessings verse 13 and 14 and every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all the things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying amen And the elders fell down, and they worshiped. All creation worships. They praise the Father and the Lamb. Every created thing. John couldn't be more complete in his description. Truly, every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth, all that are in the sea, worshiped and said to him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. The combined worship of the father and the lamb is a strong testimony of the deity of Jesus. Spurgeon says, depend on it, my hearer. You never will go to heaven unless you are prepared to worship Jesus Christ as God. They are all doing it there. You will have to come to it And if you entertain the notion that he is a mere man or that he is anything less than God, I am afraid you will have to begin at the beginning and learn what true religion means. You have a poor foundation to rest upon. I cannot trust my soul with a mere man or believe in atonement made by a mere man. I must see God himself putting his hand to such a gigantic work. You and I... We'll be in heaven if we've surrendered our lives to the Lord. Not because of man. Not because of anything you have done. Not because of your works, but because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Because of how much God the Father loves you fell down and they worshipped him the ancient Greek word for worship is literally to, to prostrate or to lay before in complete submission when's the last time you were in worship and you got down on your knees or you got down on your face before the Lord the scene may be that the elders fell down to their knees and laid themselves before him who lives forever and ever as an expression of their total submission and their total worship Clark points out this Eastern method of adoration, first the person worshiping fell down to his knees, and then bowing down, touched the earth with her forehead. The latter act was prostration. Forever and ever. Worshipped him who lives forever and ever. The living God reigns eternally. See, the Caesars, they came and went, including those who persecuted God's people. But the Lord lives forever and ever, and in every is ever worthy of our praise. It's an an amazing proclamation. We can worship Him forever and ever. Nobody, no thing can get in our way. You see, leaders in our world will come and go. Even those who persecute the Christians, leaders, and you need to hear me, leaders in our country, they're going to come and go. Even those who persecute Christians, leaders in our state, they're going to come and they're going to go. But the Lord God lives forever and ever and is ever worthy of our praise. Don't get caught up in the leadership that's around us. Don't get caught up in in whatever's happening in Washington. Do we engage? Do we vote? Yes, we do. We We do all that stuff. But that's not our main focus. Our main focus is God. Don't be discouraged. Don't get frustrated. Don't get angry. Don't start worshiping some person you think they should be our president. Eyes on God. So as we worship, I exhort you to lay it all out there, to worship God with everything you have and at all times, not just in here when when we have somebody leading us in song. Worship in your car. Worship at home. Worship. Sing to the Lord. Praise him and worship him. There's a reason the Israelites worshiped before battle. It prepared them and it honored God even in the line of battle if you feel like something's hard and you're struggling in it, get some worship music going. Get it going. Start worshiping the Lord and watch what happens. So who is worthy to hold eternal life and everlasting condemnation in his hands? This fifth chapter of Revelation reveals that no other leader, religious figure, or ruler in history could open this important scroll about God's righteous judgment. Only one person, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for mankind, could open it. Jesus, unique and superior to all. It's true for us in every situation because Jesus prevails when no one else can. As the Lamb of God, he took our sins upon himself, giving his life on the cross so we can be saved. As the Lion of Judah, he is coming as a conquering warrior and Messiah that will indeed bring justice to the earth. It's not up to us to bring justice. God's got that taken care of. And finally, as the Root of David... Jesus fulfills the promises made to King David and ushers in an everlasting kingdom. And we see again, God does not play favorites. He offers his gift of salvation to people from every ethnic group, every race and language throughout the world. He is truly the God of all the earth. John three sixteen for God so loved the world. That's everyone. And in heaven, There will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation as evidence of it. As the moment nears for the Lamb to break open the seven seals of judgment, all creation worships him. Here we can see the unity of God the Father and the Son being worshiped in one, as one. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He is our creator. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that you desire us to read it, that you desire that we uh, know you. God, we thank you that you know us. I pray, Father God, that you would fill each and every one of us with your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would strengthen our desire to know you, that you would strengthen our desire to worship you. God, that we would worship you with every ounce of our being. Help us not to be disheartened by what's happening in the world around us as your return approaches, but let us gain strength and momentum. Let Let us keep proper perspective. Help us to share the hope that we have with everyone that you direct us to. As we continue in studying in this book, Lord, let us not lose track of what it is you're saying to us, your church, today. As we close in worship this morning, Lord, may our heartfelt praise be a sweet aroma to you. May it bring you glory. As we close this morning, as I would every every Sunday, I'd ask you, Are you confident that you're going to heaven? Are you confident that you're going to miss that that judgment and wrath that is coming upon the earth? Because you can be. See, God created the heavens and the earth and they were perfect and he created man and woman and they were perfect and that relationship was good and sin entered into the garden. And when that sin came in, that relationship between God and man was broken. It was severed. But God had a plan. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. When that blood was shed, the, that blood that was shed for us, that ultimate sacrifice cleanses us of our sins. He went to that grave where three days later he rose again and is in heaven with the Father. You see, we try to fill that void that was created in the garden with anything we can. It's drugs, it's sex, it's pornography, it's material things, money, status. But all those things will fade away. It's only a relationship with Jesus Christ that will fill that true void. And because Jesus died on that cross, went to the grave and rose again, we can repent, we can turn from our sins, we can ask for forgiveness, and we can have a restored relationship with God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, the person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth, he confesses resulting in salvation. That's something you can do today. Simply confess and believe. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm gonna ask you just to pray something like this. It doesn't have to be exact words, but something like this. Dear God, dear God, help I can't live like this any longer I confess that Jesus is Lord and I believe that you raised him from the dead and because of that I can repent forgive me for my sins I turn from him from this point forward I'm headed a new direction starting today and I ask that you help me help me to serve you and to honor you in all that I do Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to share the hope that I have now with others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer in this room, I'd love to chat with you. If you prayed it online, just shoot me an email, Scott at scott.foothillscalvary.org, and I'll get back to you.
0: has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.